this morning, we really are, the personality thing, the inventory is really just a little blip on the radar for the, for the overall morning. This kind of took on a life of its own as I was telling Holly. I know you think you're here to hear how to enjoy your children and you, you have a preconceived idea of how that's going to work itself out. Um, and we are here to talk about how to enjoy your children. The funny thing is, when I heard that that was the topic, I thought, well, that's an easy one. You just tell them. You tell your kids, you obey and I'll enjoy you. And, and you know, the truth is, we're done. The morning's short and sweet. You've had your coffee. Someone else is downstairs enjoying your children. We're done. Just visit. And then I got really serious about it and I thought, okay, I could probably say about a million things about how to enjoy your children. So, you know, save your money. Do not buy any more coffee. You're going to need it because you've got to pay them extra to watch and enjoy your children longer because we're going to be here all day. I've actually fallen somewhere in the middle. You'll be glad to know. I do think it's really interesting as I was looking at this topic. Um, I thought that would be an interesting thing to Google. So I Googled enjoying your children, those exact words. And y'all, I could not get over how many of the title. Actually, I'm really not exaggerating, and I'm, I'm prone to exaggeration. But, I, but truly, so many, almost most, of the titles and topics and articles talked about um, how to manage your child, how to whip them into shape, how to, you know, put a thumb down on them, how to get them to do what you want them to do. And I thought, am I in the right, is this the right place for enjoying, did, did I get that, is there a typo? Did I get that wrong? And, um, and I didn't. And I thought, that's so sad that so many of those comments had to do with Manipulating, coercing your child into doing what your child wants, uh, doing what you want your child to do in order for you to enjoy your child. And I thought, well, that's not what it means to enjoy our child. And as believers, that's not what we're about. So it really sent me processing the, this whole thing. And I know children are a gift from the Lord, and we are to enjoy gifts. And so, are we supposed to enjoy our children? Absolutely. And do we have a right to? To think that that's expected, yes. So that's what we're talking about this morning. The word enjoy, um, I thought, was very interesting. It had two parts to it as I dove into this. The first part of the actual definition in the dictionary for enjoy is to experience with joy, to take pleasure in, to experience pleasure for oneself. But the interesting thing about it is that it had a second part. The second part of the same definition said to make joyful, to give joy. And I thought about that. I thought that's kind of interesting because, you know what, I like to go to Canton, but I really enjoy it when I go with friends. And I began to run down the list of all the things in my life that I know I could check off the list and say I really like. But when it came to the things that I really enjoy, there was a give-and-take relational difference between those things. There There really was a receiving element of something about it, and then there was a giving back element involved in it. So this morning, we're going to flip-flop back and forth between a two-sided coin, the coin being our topic, how to enjoy our children. And the two sides of the topic are going to be God's perspective, taking it in, and our response, giving it back. And you'll see how this relates to um, enjoying our children. Now, I know this is where it would seem logical to give you a long list of all these 
fun things to do with your child. But the list I'm about to share with you is actually a list. It's a result, really, of personal reflection from one mom, one parent, to another parent um, through years of getting it wrong and through years of trial and error and years of, by the grace of God, getting a few things um, right. So I'm passing on a perspective um, and my response as it relates to how I've learned to enjoy my children. So my list looks like this. Every little blurb, every, every little heading or topic is going to start with the phrase, I enjoy my children more when. And my first one is, I enjoy my children more when I am not waiting for them to change. And if you're taking notes, that's how I would just encourage you to organize your, your, you know, your page. Because every little heading will just have a different um, intro. I enjoy my children more, I have learned, when I am not waiting for them to change. Um, when my kids were really little, we were in the car, and I was on my way to meet this other mother, and she um, homeschooled her kids, and at the time, mine were preschoolers, and um, I was not home. I mean, I was, you know what, you're home, let me just, let me just say, tell you this. You are homeschooling whether you're homeschooling or not. You are not off the hook if your kids are anywhere else during the day other than your home. You're always, always homeschooling. But um, this darling mom was sitting there with her girls, and I pull up, and I've got my kids in the back of this minivan. And it's, you know, I come to a stop, and it's rocking back and forth. They're, they're over the seats. The radio's going. They're squealing. They're squawking. They're talking real loud. And I've, it's been one of those days when I pull up, and she's sitting at Starbucks in a chair with her two daughters, and they're sipping tea and reading magazines. <laughs> and I looked at that little scenario, and, and I'm sitting in my car, and I just, and I just thought, oh, I want that. That. That's my goal. That is what I want. I, what? And, I, here I, and here I am, and I began to just think, gosh, if only, you know, if, only I could, if only they were doing this or that, then I could have that. And my focus became very honed in on, if my kids could just be a little different, then my life could look like that. So I think we fall into that a lot of times. And I know how I, it made me think how many times I've thought, gosh, you know, if they would only do or be X, Y, Z, things could be so much calmer, things could be so much happier, less stressful. If they stayed asleep a little longer when they took their naps, if they didn't wake up so early in the mornings, you know, if they didn't throw temper tantrums in the grocery store, you know, um, or in front of friends, what is that about? Um, all, you know, all the different things. They couldn't just be happy sitting in the cart. The list goes on. But um, really, if you stop and think about it, and this is just going to be an open morning of confessions. Of, you're going to learn more about me than you ever wanted to learn. But, but this is something that I definitely think about frequently. And my kids are even, they're even much older, and it's been a real, I have to consciously stop myself and consider, and this is a great thing to consider when you find yourself in this moment, if there was ever a parent who had the right to love a child, I mean, to love a child conditionally, it would have been God. And the reason I say that is because Jesus left his perfect state, he left heaven, and he took on the limitations of humanity. And that's ugly. And 
We know that God loved his own son very unconditionally. After all, you know, he took his, that, that state. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 um, says he took on our imperfections, but God didn't let the limitation of humanity keep him from enjoying his son. His love for his son is positional. It's not conditional. And that should be our love for our children, too. And I know we love our children, but we all know there are moments where we slip out. And um, I hope that's encouraging to you. God did not wait for us to change before he initiated love for us. Romans 5.8 says that while you were still crummy and throwing your temper tantrums, I reached down and I loved you and I received you just like that. I did not sit back with folded arms and wait for you to pull your act together before I reached down and, and moved in and loved you and re- received you. So my question is, you know, are you allowing, and I say you, I mean all of us, are we, are you allowing your children's quirks or some of their differences, sometimes even their appearance, their shortcomings, their behaviors, their habits, their personalities, to affect your enjoyment of them? Are you waiting for them to make the first move? So it's a good thing to think about. All right. I need to train my heart and my eyes to see through the things that I have trouble with about my child and ask for God's perspective. See, my capacity to enjoy my children does not depend on the performance of my child, but on my dependence on God. I enjoy my children more. This is the next one. When I am willing to entertain the possibility that maybe it's me. Now, okay, these two kind of go together, and that's why they're back to back. Um, we were in the middle of one of these if-then scenarios with one of our children in the early preteen years where I was thinking, if, 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 if you could just pull your act together, if you could just act more respectful, if you could just say the right things. And we were in one of these, I don't even remember honestly what the specifics were, but I will never forget, I was driving right here. I was on the tollway about to get onto LBJ, having one of these huge pity parties. And I was crying, and I was like, this is just awful, and he just, he just needs to, God, he just needs to just do this. And I had this long list of things that I just felt I was absolutely sure he needed to change. And God struck me right between the eyes, and he said as clearly as I've ever heard anyone speak to me in real life, what about you? And I stopped and started crying even harder. <laughs> Because I realized it was so true. It was so true. I realized, and this was very painful and it's hard to admit, but I realized that my high need for control of the situation had really created a lot of anxiety in me and it had caused me to approach my child with a great deal of frustration consistently. And what I discovered is that when I responded that way, my child responds to me. And so our children respond how they're responded to is what I've learned. And this is truly invaluable, y'all. I have really learned that when I change first, transformation in my child is inevitable. And I am not saying this is done apart from God's spirit or apart from his prompting or leading or in a vacuum without him. I'm just telling you that 
I think God would always, and this is biblical, have us look inward before we start trying to solve problems outward. It's a great place to start. The reason that we respond at all is because he responded to us first. And I touched on this a second ago. First John 4.19, we know that we love because God first loved us. He initiated, we respond. It's not a young child's job to initiate mature behavior. That's our job. Who's the parent here? My daddy, bless his heart, when the kids were little, he was so impatient with them. And I remember him getting real frustrated at times because they wouldn't come to him right away. Or, you know, he just didn't, he just didn't see certain things. And I remember thinking so specifically, that's not their job. They're in training. You know, they'll get there one day, but our job is to move them there. But we can't expect certain things like that. We can't expect them to act mature in that regard when they're not there yet. So, if you're waiting on them to change so that you can enjoy them more, you are missing out on what God wants to do in you. And I've also discovered that when I'm enjoying my children the least, that is when I have the most to work on. So, if you are in a... In a right now where you are frustrated, you know, about a certain specific that, that you're dealing with, with your child and a behavior, take some time. Take a, just breathe spiritually, take some time and really evaluate. Go before the Lord and say, what can I, what's, what it, what's it about me here? I think you'll be really thrilled with what God starts to do. <clears throat> I enjoy my children more when I stop taking stuff personally. Contrary to how I know it feels, your child is not out to get you. Our parenting really took a turn when we realized this. See, I'm sharing all these... I could have gone to different books and gotten all these illustrations from somebody else, but I'm just vomiting it out there for you. So I really am sorry about that. But I feel like it just... Too many of things that I've gone through hit home here, so I'm just going to just be really vulnerable, stupidly vulnerable. All right, um... Brett and my daughter were really going at it during this period in her early preteen years. And this was kind of a consistent theme in the house. It would happen over and over and over and over. And the pattern was the same and the escalation was the same. And they were in the middle of one of these very same kinds of things. And he came in the bedroom one night and he slammed the door. He goes, <laughs> you know, he was just worked up. And I, we, we had a long talk, calmed him down. And we discovered what was very interesting is that he was just taking it all so personally. And he really felt threatened. He felt like there had been, this battle had been engaged and, and was being waged and that it really had become more about winning than training. And he had to really back off. We had a great talk about it and discovered that really that's not, that was not the right way to approach this. James 4.1 tells us that the source of quarrels, the reason that we have conflict, not just with, I know we always hear this in the context of community, but, but there's a great context here for parenting because the reason that we have conflict with our children, according to James 4.1, is that we all want what we all want when we all want it, whether you are the child or the adult. And... Our position as authority, see, has already been established by God. We don't have to fight for our authority. I think Brett was thinking, and I have, I've done it too, we've got we to take our stand. 
We gotta take our stand. We ought to parent. We ought. But the, the reality is that God already did that. It's a done deal. Romans 13, 1 and 2 tells us that the same thing that is established. And um, it took all the emotion out of it when we realized that we weren't battling with our children to win personal victories. We were battling to train and win them to Christ. There's a big difference there. <clears throat> so suddenly it's easier to live more biblically. It's easier not to take into a wrong, take into account a wrong suffered, which is 1 Corinthians 13:5. It's easier not to let the sun go down in your anger, Ephesians 4.26. And um, I'll tell you something else really interesting. I'm going to read it to you because if I didn't read it to you, you would think I was making this up. Deuteronomy 28.63. I found this in my preparation and I had to read it several times because I couldn't, it, I couldn't believe what I was reading in terms of how God enjoys us even in the conflict. Because I know as a parent, I find myself not enjoying my child very much suddenly. And um, Deuteronomy 28, did I say that? 2863 is God talking to, um, to and about Israel. And he says here, um, And it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. And you shall be torn from the land from where you're entering to possess it. I read it over and over. He's going to be really delightful to make me perish. He's going to be delightful to make them perish. And I looked up delighted, and it means the same, it's the same definition. It's not like delighted in the punishment phase is any different than the delighted in the you're doing great phase. But what that said to me is that that's so true of God's nature. He loves us no matter what. It's not about our performance. He loves us regardless. So what a great model for us with our kids. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to say, go to your room. I'm, you know, you're not, I don't mean that kind of happy. I just mean there's a sense of center and, 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 um, and peace in knowing that he's got that under control. All right. He's won the battle. I enjoy my children more when I remember that they are made in God's image, not mine. One of the most challenging obstacles, I think, to enjoying our children sometimes can be differentiating between what God has planned for our children and what we have planned for our children. That's just one aspect of this. Juggling God's design um, and his future for them and our hopes and dreams for them. I really think this almost takes on being a really good student of your child and recognizing that God has built into them what he has planned to build into them so that they can carry out his plans for them. Um, I want to be real careful that my desires for my, chi- for my child are God's desires for my child and not my own. Um, you see, God had designed me to be a dancer. And my friend Lisa Albert, I'm just kidding, but (laughs) I really did want to be a dancer. And Lisa Albert, my good friend in third grade, talked me out of that and talked me into taking gymnastics instead. And um, I hated it. I was too old to be taking gymnastics, just be starting anyway, because flipping scared me. And so I decided I was going to be a spotter. 
and I was going to be a really good spotter. So we practiced in her room all the time. And she would do her cartwheels, and I would spot her. And she would do her handstands, and I would spot her. And she would do her aerials, and I would spot her. And what I realized, though, for my job as spotter is that it was a very important job. And see, I think our job as parents is to be a spotter because I discovered that my job was to steady her. My job was to keep her on track. It was to protect her from getting hurt. It was to guide her. It was to help train her in the course of her development. And without me, a lot of those things would not be real possible. And so as a parent, our goal is to train them in the way that they should go. Now, I don't want you to, I know you're thinking that comes from Proverbs 22.6. You've all heard that particular scripture, train a child in the way that they should go, and then when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And there is an element of biblical training involved in that. But the real idea actually comes from um, the Hebrew word, which is derived from a similar word in Egyptian. I know it sounds kind of crazy which has a range of meanings, but one is to prepare the child for future responsibilities. And so as a parent, our, one of our roles is to, like a sapling that tends to grow, you know, of course, our children by design are going to have a certain bent, and it's our role to come alongside and spot as they develop and grow. And then what's so fun is that we get to watch and see what God does with them. How will God use my child? And for better or worse, my child is not me. And while there may be times I feel that the world revolves around my child um, and the me that's in my child, the truth is the world world revolves around God's son, not mine. So um, it's a good perspective to keep in mind. All right. I enjoy my children more when I recognize that God's design is instructional, intentional, and perfectly wonderful. This one kind of piggybacks on the one I just talked about. If marriage is God's refining agent, children are God's sanctifying agent. It is said that marriage is about making us whole, while raising children is about making us holy. And there is no child more perfectly suited to make you holy than your child. There are no design flaws here. And there is no one more perfectly, divinely suited to be your child's mother or father than you. This match was made in heaven, and it is as instructional and intentional and perfectly wonderful for our children as it is for us. You know, it's funny. We pray all the time. We pray for the right playmates to come into their lives. We pray for the right friends and the right teachers as they walk through the educational path, teachers that will love them and and respond to their temperaments and be good matches for the way they, um, their learning styles. And we pray for all these things, but I think sometimes, I know I do, I forget about the very first perfect match God ever made on behalf of my child, and that was the one he made when he put you, matched you with your child. And there are a lot of reasons he did it. So if pairing us with our children is God's plan, and he designed each one of us with great care and thoughtfulness, we know Psalm 139, he formed our inward parts, he made us fearfully and wonderfully, we know that, then it makes sense to go to him and ask him how best to do 
what he's called us to do. And to ask him to help us appreciate how he's made our children. Um, y'all will appreciate this, I know, as, as young mothers. But when, when my oldest was little, he was probably four, we were on our way to Bible study one morning. And I, like you, we would get out a couple times a week and more than that sometimes. But um, so I never got out of the house. Um, <laughs> But this one morning, I had my, we, were, we were kind of running late, and I had my bags packed, my Bible packed, and he, I'd forgotten out exactly what the issue was. He couldn't get his shoe tied or something, and I was, so, I was just so upset. I was on the verge of tears, and all I can really remember is backing up against the wall and slumping to the floor and just sobbing, just sobbing my eyes out. And he's sitting there getting mad at me and, my, you know, fussing at me, and I just like, please, me just, just, just go. And I, cry, I just cried, and I might have even said it audibly, but I just begged God, and I said, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. We are not connecting. This is not working, and this gone on for too long. And I just begged and begged, and I just, I just asked him from the bottom of my heart, please, you know him. You know him better than anybody. I can read all the books that have ever been written, but nobody can tell me anything about him more than you can. Will you please give me insight into his heart? Show me how to do that. Where do I go? And I just cried and cried and cried. Pulled myself together and made it to Bible study. And he did get his shoe tied. Well, I don't know. Sometime after that, I was having my quiet time reading. Have read the verse a million times but was reading it this day, and this verse jumped out with his name on it, and I knew instantly that this was God's answer to the heart, the heart cry that I had had the day or whatever days before. And it was Proverbs 15.1, and, and it is. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I thought about that verse, and I thought about me, and I thought, I have, I have been responding to him out of, my, out of my day, out of my circumstances. I have responded to him out of my circumstances. I have responded to him out of my frustrations. I have responded to him frequently in ways that are angry. Now, I wasn't screaming at him, but he, he knew. And um, I thought, gosh, God must is opening a window here. And y'all, I'm just going to tell you honestly, I know this sounds kind of like woo-woo, but his whole life, he is, he's 19 years old. He's on the verge of becoming a full-grown man. And to this day, there are very few weeks that go by that this verse is not brought to my mind in specific reference to how to deal with him in a specific issue. And it is like magic. Things just... The, the, the conflicts that we're having fall away, and I pull myself together, and there's a key, and I watch it, and it unlocks his heart, and I can see his, I see him responding. And um, <clears throat> I noticed it early on and began to ask God to give me the same wisdom for my other two children, and he did. One of them later than the other. <laughs> but he did. He, he was enormously faithful with all three of them. And um, 
I would share the verses. I have them, but I feel like if I do that, I want, if you're challenged or encouraged at all to do this, I would like you to go before the Lord and he'll tell you what the verse is for your kids. But I will tell you that, that they are unique. And it is, it is amazing what I have seen and the times I have turned to God and his word before I've turned to anything else and the difference that that has made because he knows my child. It's his design. <clears throat> his faithfulness is convincing me all the time that his insights into my children's hearts are, um, are perfect and they help me understand. And I know there are a lot of different tools to use and I'm going to just touch on a few others that I've also found to be very, very helpful. One of them, and, and I know y'all know all of these, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but um, afterwards, if you haven't ever heard any of these before, they're fun to visit with at the tables. But one of them is that whole theory of psychology that comes from the ancient Greek and Roman medicine. You probably are familiar with the, um, the humors, the um, melancholy, sanguine, those. Um, Hippocrates, it's kind of one of his theories that a lot of Christian authors in recent years, meaning the you know, 20th century, have taken these and applied them to Christian um, biblical personalities. And you get the blood, the lifeblood is the sanguine. And an easy way to remember it is it's just they're outgoing. They're just they're, they're outgoing. Um, black bile, yellow bile, and phlegm. The, um, the black bile speaks for itself. Oh, yeah, there they are. Sorry, yeah. Um, the black bile speaks for itself. Um, these individuals tend to be, they're melancholy. Um, they're a little moodier, a little darker in their perspective about things. They're kind of the glass half full types, but they're very creative and artistic and full of thought, very reflective, deep thinkers. Um, yellow bile is the choleric, and these individuals are typically driven they're very um, easily agitated because they have a plan, you know, and they move forward. Very, the type A personalities, a lot of times very administrative, and they get it right, you know, very efficient. And uh, phlegm is the last bodily fluid, and we get, the, we get phlegmatic from this. Phlegm is, let's face it, slow moving. And that was supposed to be funny. Um, but the phlegmatic is easygoing. Their temperament is very pleasant to be around. They don't, they don't get their feathers ruffled very easily. Um, now, a lot of these are difficult to determine with young children. I think all the experts will tell you this. But they are very interesting. And when I was in college, I read, I think it was Tim LaHaye's book, The Spirit Controlled Temperament. Are you all familiar with that one? It really opened up. It opened a window into my soul and to my personality that was actually very helpful because I could actually see in black and white my strengths and my weaknesses, and I was able to pray toward that. I was able to anticipate and realize when certain things were more prone to happen based on my temperament my personality. And as a mother, as a parent, this is a real helpful thing, too, because you know where your limitations are, and you know where your strengths are. That's another talk, too. Okay. Um, Personality Plus is another one. Florence Littauer Littauer wrote that one. Um, Okay. The next one I'll run by you real quick, and I think Elizabeth touched on this one, is the one by Gary Smalley and John Trent, the um, 
little animals. This is kind of a repackaging of the humors. Um, but they wrote a book called The Treasure Tree for Children. It's darling. Y'all, I'm sure y'all have read that book with your kiddos. Um, the four animals, the lion, the otter, the golden retriever, and, and the beaver. Um, and I think our, our icebreaker probably covered that, so I won't spend much time on it. But I will tell you it's funny. When you do this one with your children, this has been my experience. <clears throat> my daughter, who's a, who's a lion, there's no doubt about it. She is a lion. When we first did this with her, I asked her, I said, so who do you think you're more like? You know, is it honey? Is it who are you? She says, oh, I am honey. I am so like honey. I am a golden retriever. And I'm thinking, you are so not honey. But the thing is, you know, the, the lions kind of always want to be the golden retrievers, and the golden retrievers always want to be the otters, because the golden retrievers are a little quieter, and, you know, and the otters are kind of fun. Everybody wants to be the otter, because they're real fun. But uh, it is fun to do it with your children, and they get a real big kick out of it. And it, it is very, very helpful in, in how you learn to appreciate how God has wired your kids. And then the third thing that I do think is helpful, and I'll give you all handouts. I have a lot of handouts with all these on them and some fun um, quizzes to go with them before you leave, is the um, Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. You're probably familiar with these as well. These are hard to determine in children, but um, if you're aware of them, you do, you, do begin, you do begin to notice some patterns. There are acts of service, gift-giving, physical touch, words of encouragement, and quality time. And typically, as a general rule, you can tell um, which one it is because you tend to give love and express love the way in which you prefer to have love spoken to you. Does that make sense? That's kind of one of the. That's kind of how you can tell. This is a funny story. I, I was. I'd heard about this when our kids were little, and I was always kind of watching, you know, trying different things to see. I was experimenting and having fun with it, and I wasn't real sure what they were. And one night we had the Wagners over to dinner, and this was when they were on their way to being Angelina. Jolie and Brad Pitt, but I, um, they were in like this, you know, little bitty house, and they had, I don't even know how many kids they had at the time. It was more than we had, and um, we had eaten dinner, and my kids were in this habit, or at least I thought it was this horribly embarrassing habit of gathering up all of their McDonald's toys and all, all kinds of little treasures to give to their friends when their friends were leaving as a gift. And it had become kind of an issue. A friend of mine even had to have a hard talk with me. But um, she, she said, you know, I just don't my child. I, he, I want him to want to play with your children because he likes them, not because they're going to give them things, you know. But um, so the, the Wagners are over, and we're all saying goodbye, and Anna disappears, and she and Allie are a little bitty, and comes out with Anna's life-size Barbie. And I'm thinking, oh, the last thing the Wagners need is another kid. I mean, and Todd is like, you know, thank you. That is so nice. That is so thoughtful. We can't, but we just can't, you know. And they, they're living in 800 square feet. And anyway, <clears throat> but it was my first clue at that point after things people had said to me and things I had observed that possibly gift-giving could be her love language. <laughs> And it's been, it's, been helpful over, it's been helpful over the years. So, you know, children really are kind of like mystery gifts. Um, they, they are, you know. Um, 
where am I on my notes? Why are they like mystery gifts? Oh, 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 oh. Um, oh, I ruined it. Let me tell you this and then I'll tell you that. <laughs> okay, forget you ever heard that part of it. Um, Brett, aren't we having so much fun? Brett, Brett and I, he's my husband, I told you that earlier. Um, when we got married, we were opening all of our wedding gifts. And we got this wedding gift. And somebody here probably gave us this gift. And I'll be real embarrassed if you come up to me afterwards. But we opened this one, and we had no idea what it was. And um, we turned it all different ways and were putting it on the wall, on our shoe, on our head. I mean, we didn't know what. We really did not know what it was. And we started asking each other questions. Well, what do you, I mean, does it have a, who's it from? We were like, okay, who, you know. That's good context, <clears throat> and it didn't have a card. There wasn't any, there was no card. And then we asked, well, okay, um, are there instructions? I mean, how do, you know, is, maybe there's a thing inside that tells you what to do with it. And there wasn't. Now here we go. Children are like mystery gifts. <laughs> um, the keys to understanding our children lie, I think, in two questions. The first one being, who are they from? God. And are there any instructions? And you might have complained on your way home after you, you know, brought them back to the house. There are no instructions, but the truth is there are instructions, and it's in God's Word. And it's through the, His Spirit and through His people. So you, you are not, you are really without excuse. There are ex- instructions for your kiddos. Okay, I enjoy my children more when I practice an attitude of thanksgiving. Um, I know y'all have all had experiences where you stopped and you've told yourself, gosh, I just need to be thankful, I need to be grateful. We've all done that. First Thessalonians 5.18 tells us to do it, to give thanks in all circumstances. It's God's will. He wants us to do it. Ephesians 5.20 tells us the same thing. <clears throat> Always give thanks in all circumstances. Um, I was rereading John chapter 6, The Feeding of the 5,000, the other day, and I wasn't planning on... I don't know why I was reading it, but I wasn't planning on using it for anything. But something jumped out at me that I thought was so profound in light of Thanksgiving. You know, that whole scenario with the bread and the fish and how are we going to feed all these people? There aren't, there's not enough food. And Jesus sends the disciples out and they come back with very little. And Jesus takes this gift and it's five loaves and two fish and he's got it. And I thought... That's an interesting analogy because I feel like, okay, I've been given this gift with my children. <clears throat> but when Jesus took that bread and that, that fish, he did not say to God, Look at this! Look this! Look what you've given me! I can't, what am I supposed to do with this? This is so hard! This, I don't, what am I, please! What am I supposed to do with this? (laughs) What he did was he took that very little bit that looked so impossible and he said, thank you for this. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but thank you. That's that's our response. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm just going to trust that you do and thank you. Um, And I'll tell you what's really, really interesting when you look at that whole passage in light of what I've just said. In verse 6, and you might miss it if you've read this a dozen times, maybe you've missed it, but it says, He himself knew what he intended to do. He himself knew what he intended to do. It was no surprise that it was just 
a couple fish and some loaves of bread. He knew exactly what he intended to do with that gift. And so that's, that's our takeaway from, from this section is that God knows exactly what he intends to do with the design of his child in your life. And there's every reason in the world to be grateful for it. Okay. And then you'll get blessings to spare out of it. The next one, I enjoy my children more when I am rested. John Ortberg says that the most spiritual thing you can do sometimes is take a nap. And I, can I hear some amens? I will will never forget, all three, I had, all three of my kids, I had three of them, five and under. And Dawson, my, my youngest, was a newborn, and Anna and Cole were out in the backyard playing with some neighborhood friends, and our bedroom window at the time overlooked the backyard. And they were out playing and laughing, and I was gazooka-eyed. I was exhausted. And I went to the bedroom window to kind of look to see what they were doing, and I started doing this. And uh, I'd been up with, you know, up with a newborn, and I saw my bed, and I saw the window. And I saw my bed... And I heard the, the noises in the backyard got fainter and fainter. And I laid down for just a second. I kept thinking, for just a second, I've got to lay down. I've got to lay down. And I laid down, and all of a sudden, out of my fog, I heard all this, what, this screaming, screaming from the backyard. I jump up, try to find the window. I'm completely disoriented. And I open up the curtains, and um, they're screaming, and I hear Anna she threw a brick off the fort. Basically, the neighbor had thrown a brick off the fort <clears throat> onto Cole. He was okay. Um, it just grazed him, but I didn't, I didn't know that at the time because I, again, was exhausted. And instead of doing anything else, I stand at the window, and it's like when I remember it, it was like as, as if it was, I was in slow motion. Kid, out! I was talking to the neighbor like she knew I was talking to her. Kid, I was screaming and pointing my finger, just pointing, and I, I was frozen. I couldn't move, and honestly, beyond that point, I do not recall what I did. But the main thing I want to communicate to you is that if I had been, I didn't have the resources to respond rightly because I had not given myself permission prior to that to take care of what my body had been telling me to do. So... Sometimes I don't do the right thing when I've had plenty of sleep. So that's no excuse, but I know we're better resourced when we give ourselves permission to take that needed rest. It's a long time before that neighbor ever came back. <clears throat> and then when Anna tried to tell her about Jesus, she's like, mm, I don't think so. You know, I saw your mama in the window. And <laughs> that's not working for y'all. So... <laughs> Oh, she actually ended up saying yes because Anna said, if you don't, you will burn in hell and it is hot and you will want some water. (laughs) Okay. I enjoy my children more when they are rested. Forget about me. We all know this is so true. Oh, no, wait. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Is that, was that next? You were just following me and being so good about, oh, you're the best. Uh, We're really on, I enjoy my children more when I'm filled. But I'm filled. Okay. 
This might rattle your categories, some of y'all, but just because you think you're a Christian doesn't mean you're always going to act like one, in case you haven't thought about that before. The minute that we trust Christ, we this is my little spiritual section. The minute we trust Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is, it is a gift that is given to us. It is made available. The power is made available to us. It's a pledge. It's a deposit um, made to us from God, a promise of future things, and proof of ownership. <clears throat> Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed it, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I've, I've always known that. But, excuse me, but I've always struggled a little bit as well with Ephesians 5.18 that tells us to be filled with the Spirit. So as a believer, I've always thought, okay, now if I am filled with God's Spirit, why do I walk in the flesh so frequently? Why, why am I yelling, get out, get out? I mean, I, other than being tired, are there any other reasons? And I just think... I. What I, I've, I've always wondered what that's about. <clears throat> and I have discovered um, that there's a good explanation for that. And I'm going to try to give you an analogy to help you, because this may not be your issue, but it certainly has been something that I have thought a lot about. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is a little, it's a little bit like a bank account. And this, this, this analogy really has helped me a lot, and it's helped me in my parenting especially. Um, that the, God gives us the Holy Spirit, and as a just like money in the bank, it's yours. It is there for the taking. It belongs to you. It has your name on it. It's right there. It is completely available 100% of the time. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to steal it. It's it's yours. But when you want it, you have to make a withdrawal. You, you go to the bank or you, you, you ask for it. You say, I need that. I've got to have that. At this moment, I really need to have that. And that's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. A better, I'll tell you really, a better translation is be being filled. It's a continuing process. So while we're filled with God's Spirit, God's Spirit is not actually what's filling us. It's the mind of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit fills us with the mind of Christ. Does that make sense? <clears throat> the Holy Spirit fills us with the mind of Christ. And so that's a continual process. So we do that by reading God's Word. We can do it by spending time um, meditating on His Word, praying. Um, all those things can activate God's... It's like chocolate milk and the, that, that settles to the bottom of a glass of milk. You stir it up. And, it, and, it, and those moments are amazing, and they work, and you know God's working, and then it settles in. It doesn't mean it's not there. It's always there. But this has helped me a lot because um, in my parenting, I think too many times I get caught up in the whim of whatever moment it is, and I forget the power that's available to me if I'll just shoot up that arrow prayer. Oh, Lord, don't let me act apart from you in this. Before, I, before my feet hit the floor... Fill me before I do anything. Fill me. It's just like it's really more of a um, 
a constant thinking about him and a rewiring of our hearts and our minds so that it's consistent. I enjoy my children more when they are rested. That was where I was going with that. God rested from his work. We know that it's okay. He gives us permission. But children's work is play. And they need to rest from their work too. Um, And we need to remember that our work and play doesn't look like their work and play. And they get tired at a different, whole different level than we do. Without good rest, I don't have to say a lot about this because y'all know, but without good rest, they are a lot more likely as we are to be cranky, irritable, say stupid things, unable to think clearly, have a hard time following directions, responding rightly when their siblings are hit by a brick. You know? Um, Y'all know that. We don't need to spend. It's, it's, it's always a factor. It should never be an excuse. Just get them to bed early and get them down for their naps when they need to. I enjoy my children more when I am filled. That's an intentional repeat. Okay. <laughs> I enjoy my children more when I am consistent and clear in my expectations. <clears throat> say what you mean and mean what you say. I am really bad about this. And I think one of the reasons is because I kind of go on autopilot sometimes. I'll walk through the den, and, and one of them will be watching TV, and I'll just say, without even thinking, turn that off in about five minutes. That needs to be turned off. And I don't listen for an okay or a yes ma'am. I'm just blah, 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 as I've walked across the TV. And then 20 minutes later, I've completely forgotten I ever even asked that be done. And they certainly don't remember me. Maybe they do remember me and haven't asked them. But they didn't do it, and I didn't follow up. So um, the point is that, um, you know, what is the point? God never gave the people of Israel. <laughs> God never gave the people of Israel a command that He did not fully expect to be followed or obeyed. So if you don't get a, don't get on autopilot, if you're going to tell them to do something, don't mentally leave that moment until you have waited to see it followed through. <clears throat> All right. I'll tell you, this, one of the classic situations I bet you all find yourselves in, I know, I still find myself in this situation, is when you're going to pick them up from somewhere, a friend's house or Bible study, and you've given them the big lecture, when mommy tells you it's time to go, you're going to be real cheerful, and you're going to say, yes, ma'am. And you're going to come running right away. I don't care what you're doing. You put down that toy. When I say it is time to go, and you're holding their little hands, when it's time to go, we're going to go right away. <laughs> and, and they're nodding. And then you get there, and you start talking to Jane because you love her. She's so fun. She's one of your best buddies. And you're talking, you're talking, and they come right away. But you kind of don't really see that. I mean, you kind of do that, so it was so great. But you know what? I was remembering that movie was so good. And they, they finally just wander off because you're talking to Jane. And they end up resuming their play. And then you remember they're not by you, like you said. John? Sorry, John, I said, come right away. Y'all know this scenario as well as anybody, don't you? And they kind of come running back, but they're a little more hesitant this time, and you're a little put out that it wasn't right away. And it gets worse and it gets worse. And then you leave James and you're really embarrassed because there was a little moment there where you lost it. But it's your fault. 
<clears throat> okay, I'm saying it because I have lived it a thousand times. And so really, truly, I will enjoy my child so much more when I pull my act together. <laughs> the truth. Okay. I enjoy my children more when I am unhurried. And this piggybacks on the one I just said, too. Have you ever heard of the stay-at-home mom who's never at home? Okay, well, that would be me. Um, you know, our busy pace, really, a lot of times makes it hard to just slow down. I know we all get busy going and doing, and it's fun, and our activities are fun, and we take our kids with it because it's fun. <clears throat> but um, it can be a lot for us, and it can be a lot for our kids. And I'll tell you truthfully that, um, you know, even staying at home, but staying busy at home is probably not a good thing either. Because a lot of times when you stay real busy at home, your kids end up being kind of left unattended or, you know, a lot, a lot of unstructured free time occurs when you get busy at home and you're not including them or building them into the activity. And um, I think the other, the other is true as well. We have busy time outside the home and we take them with us, but we spend a lot of time going and doing and we're in the car. Um, and I'll tell you honestly, one thing I've discovered is that being a, away from home pulls you away from some of the very best places to experience an unhurried lifestyle with your child. And a lot of precious moments are missed by not being in the home. Uh, and just to name a few, the kitchen, um, I have two kids that loved to cook when they were little. And it was a pain in the rear to have them in the kitchen. And it took three times longer to do anything. But, oh, they loved it. And... Um, and a lot of memories were made. I got some great pictures of one of them with, you know, flour all over his nose. And it's one of my most cherished pictures because I remember that took forever. <laughs> but that was so much fun. But, it, but I was at home, and I was involving him in the process of what I was doing. The dining room, same thing. You've got the dining table. A lot of great conversation happens around the dining table. Um, a, the prayers before a meal are instructive and are great times to stop during your day. <clears throat> the den, great place for playing games, making forts, you know, watching fun videos, snuggling up and reading a book on the couch. The garage, oh my goodness, the garage. My, my kids' favorite place in the world was our garage when they were little. I came out one day and one of them, my daughter, my choleric, my choleric lion has got an armload of two-by-fours, and I'm like, what did I do with those two-by-fours? Where are you going with those? And she had a whole bucket of nails, and I was really wondering about the nails, <clears throat> and a hammer. And uh, she was, I'm going to make a tree fort. I said, well, you go, girl. You just make that tree fort. But, you know, they, they were constantly digging around in the garage and coming up with creative things, which leads me to the main point about this whole thing is that it really provides, um, my dad used to say that, um, oh, what was it? Creativity is best created with unhurried, an unhurried atmosphere. It just creates a lot of good, healthy creativity. So, uncluttered mind is what he called it. Um, 
when my kids were little, we, had, we started them off with what we called, um, it was called room time, but when they were really little, we just put them in a playpen in a room apart from where we were to, to help encourage them to just play quiet, quiet play alone. And then when I was convinced they weren't going to choke on a crayon, I moved them to their bedrooms where I felt like they were, you know, they, they were safe or, you know, able to be more grown up, <clears throat> make better choices, um, have quiet time in their rooms. And it gave me a break, and it gave them a break. And it gave them a chance to get out some of those things in their room that they don't typically play with and come up with new ways to play with it. It's all about creating some creativity and just some quiet, unhurried time and, and reflection time. Okay, um, <clears throat> when I get in a hurry, I'm snappy, I'm distracted, I'm forgetful, and I'm short with my kids. And I'm reminded of this so many times with my, with my grown-up kids. One time, just to cap this whole thing off, when, when they were little and I was doing a lot of the driving around that I probably shouldn't have been doing with them, I had my youngest in the car at the time, and he was still in the car seat, so he was little bitty. And he goes, hey, Mom, you know, we're, we're just talking, which we did a lot of talking in the car, and that is a good thing. There's a lot of redeemable time in the car, but um, he goes, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. I want to be just what you are. And I said, I was thinking, oh, that's so great. You know, driving. That is, I'm so pleased to hear that. That is such a sweet thing to say. You know what, though? You won't ever be able to be a mommy, but one day you'll be the best daddy. And he goes, no, 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 no. I mean, I want to be a driver. Okay. I was very convicted. All right. <clears throat> I enjoy my children more when I have a plan. <clears throat> this one comes from my heart, y'all, because I am a sanguine, and I have a real hard time with goals and plans and, um, and organization. I don't really, I have a problem with it, but I have learned that it's very, very, very important to have one. Um, my, this is poor Dawson again, he's getting thrown under the bus a little bit, but when my older two, they'd gone off to camp for several years, and he'd have, he's five years younger than my oldest. So he watched this for some time, and it was finally his turn to get to go to camp. And he was so excited about it. And we were all so excited about it. And um, the problem was, days before he was supposed to go, his trunk is packed and everything. We find out he didn't get in. So his siblings are packed. They're ready. I know, doesn't it just want to make you cry? Um, so we, we halt, we put the whole family in the car, and we put his trunk in the car, too, because we keep thinking, well, maybe we'll just talk him into it or slip him some cash or something. <clears throat> and we get there, and they say, no, sorry, like, are you out of your mind? Why don't you bring your trunk? I mean, we told you no. So we get back in the car, and he's in the back seat, and Brett and I are just sick. And um, we start planning. And all the way home, you know, we, we know what we're going to do. So we had a week of Camp Burdette, and we put signs on his bunk beds. We turned the staircase into a zip line. Yes, we did. <laughs> and I had a camp counselor name. I was Sparkle. He chose it. <laughs> and I had to wear my name tag all week. And when Brett would get home at night, we would stand in the front yard and scream. Go, ah! You know? And, uh, and every day, Rhett and I, would, we, before the week began, we kind of plotted out how we were going to go about the week. And every day we planned kind of one 
big thing to do, like the zoo, some big fun outing. One day was the zoo, one day was a movie, one day was, you know. And um, truly, because we were proactive and had a plan, we had one of the, one of the most memorable, probably if not the most memorable week with our youngest that we've ever had. And had he been away at camp, that would not have happened. And had we not had a plan, he would have moped around all week, and I'd have been sad about it. But I would have kept going to the grocery store, and he would have—he would have—he would have watched videos all day. I mean, it just would have been a very, very different week had we not been thinking about that. If you know you're going to be out past nap time, plan for something. And even if you don't plan a specific activity, just plan in your mind and know it's going to be rough. But at least you planned for it to be rough. Um, if you've planned, you know, if you've planned a picnic on the fort and it starts to pour down rain, change plans. You know, but you have, but, but make, a, make a backup plan. Uh, think, if it, if it does rain, you know what, we're going to take the rain gear out, we're going to bring our umbrellas and we're going to sit in the sopping rain. And if you're not good with that, you've got to be prepared to bring them inside and sit at the dining room table if that's okay with them. And if that's not okay with them, you've got to be okay with it not being okay with them. Because, you know what I'm saying, it's just plan, 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 plan. <clears throat> Anticipate. Um, on the other hand, I enjoy my children more when I am willing to be interrupted and inconvenienced. Yeah. And, and this is where I shine. Um, the, the, choleric, the choleric may have more trouble with this. But um, I have really discovered that some of my most precious times with my kids have been when I have been willing to be interrupted or inconvenienced. <clears throat> um, a lot of times this will take, sometimes it takes form in those big change of plans, but sometimes, y'all, it takes place in those little moments during the day where you're working on something and they approach you and you'll tell them, Hang on just a second, you know, I'm working. And then it goes back to that other thing. You forget to circle back to them. If that happens, I just, my encouragement is um, in those moments, to the best of our ability, we need to be all there. We're always telling our kids, wherever you are, be all there. And they may come up to you, and it, it, it does usually only take a minute to see what they want to show you or to hear the joke or to watch the magic trick. It just it doesn't usually take very long. But, it, but when and if that happens, tell them gently when it is you can. Give them your word. And then after you've done it, tell them how much you've enjoyed it. Let them know it really was worth it. Okay, I enjoy my children more when I focus on the relationship, not the hardship. Um... <clears throat> I had a friend one time tell me, you're only as happy as your most unhappy child. And I have thought about that so many times. I think as parents, we really do, especially mothers, carry the burden of whatever it is our child is experiencing at any given time. Um, and sometimes these things range from real simple, benign things like you know trying to get them to say thank you without being prompted um, to anxiety over how they respond in social settings, to disruptive behavior patterns, um, learning differences, and medical emergencies. It, it, it all ranges, but I don't know about you, but my heart, when I start focusing on whatever hardship it is with whatever child at that time, my heart can become easily troubled. 
And what happens is I start developing a preoccupation with the hardship, and I lose sight of two relationships. One is the relationship with my child, and the other is the relationship with the Lord. And I become very focused on the pain and the fear and anxiety of the hardship. But I want you to think for a second about something. In the upper room, the night before Christ was crucified, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for just a minute. I want you to think about this. Because Jesus told them some things that I think are very relevant to this topic. Um, they They had given up everything to follow him. They had sacrificed everything. They had left boats, homes, businesses, families. They had been ridiculed, mocked, kicked out of synagogues. I mean, they had, they had literally given up everything. And the night before he's crucified, he tells them, I've enjoyed this with you, but I'm about to, I'm about to leave. And they're like, what? Uh, wait a minute. You can't do that. I mean, we've been walking with you. You, you promised us a lot of things, and we're, we're on board with this, and you're just, you're just going to leave us? Now, I don't know about you, but... If I were them, I would have been in a complete basket case. And um, I don't know what I would have thought about that. I would have been very anxious. And then I was, I'm reading it and I go, well, Jesus knew they were because he said, don't let your heart be what? Troubled. He tells them, don't let your heart be troubled. He says, the, the cure for that is to believe in God, believe also in me. Um, the word troubled here is interesting. It literally means anxious. Don't be distraught. And Jesus tells them, don't do that. He says, you know what happens, y'all? I think this is so interesting. Do you know what happens literally when you experience anxiety and you allow it to rule over and over and over? Do you know what really happens? You get depressed. Um, Proverbs 12.25 says, anxiety in the heart does what? Weighs it down. In the New King James, do you know how it's translated? Anxiety in the heart causes depression. That's what it says. Um, but Jesus tells us in John 14:27, he says, Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm leaving you peace. And he says, It's not the kind of peace the world leaves with you. It's not a shopping trip or a chocolate fest. <clears throat> it's the peace I leave with you. This has been so, so encouraging for me. Because I do have a tendency to get... I'm not even a melancholy. And I have a tendency to to dig into that that black hole sometimes. But when I abide with, with Christ in the midst of hardship, I am better prepared to see my child and not the trouble. And I hope that's encouraging. Um... I enjoy my children more. I'm almost finished. So sorry I'm taking so long. I enjoy my children more when on occasion I allow their perspective to influence mine. Now, when they're little, this won't happen quite as much because their perspectives aren't necessarily real right. Um, But sometimes they are. And sometimes they're very insightful. Um, My oldest called several weeks ago, and we didn't call me because he knew I'd say no, and I did. He called my husband and said he would like to know if he could go skydiving. And so Brett passes that along to me, and I was like, not just no, but... 
no way. And, um, and so, um, anyway, we went on for, you know, several days of silence and didn't hear from him. And one day, Cole called. And he was so precious. And he was just telling me about his busyness and he's trying to do all this. He's involved suddenly with a lot of things. He's at A&M and has found involvement in a lot of different activities that are all fabulous. And he was just telling me about how busy he, he was. And he goes, Mom, I know, I know you said that you would prefer I not go. I thought that's to put it gently. Um, and he said, and I want to be real respectful of that. And, and really, if after you've heard everything I say, you and Dad really don't want me to, I, I am very happy with that. And he went on to tell me how busy he'd been and how really an answer to prayer, this whole skydiving opportunity, um, had been. It's a long story. Anyway, it was. It would save him. He was going to have to get these two interviews for this Aggie Men's Club thing that he's doing, and he was so busy he didn't know how else he was going to get two interviews unless he went on this particular interview, which happened to be skydiving. And... Um, he said, I just really feel like it's the Lord's provision, and I, I'm okay if, if y'all don't want me to. But the joy I received in that conversation was listening to him process his perspective and God's part in it. And that was so joyful. If I just stuck with my no, I'd have missed a really great opportunity to hear God working through his perspective. So it's a great thing to keep in mind. I got to know him a little bit better in that moment. It was great. I enjoy my children more when I am modeling, when what I am modeling is worth being imitated, because what I model will be imitated. I'm not going to say anything more about that one. <laughs> Finally, I enjoy my children more when I stop and remember that I know the way home. I was driving home several months ago, and it's a familiar route. It's the one I always take when I go home. And I came to this intersection where I normally take a, um, a right, and I actually take a left. And an entire apartment, I stopped at this intersection, and I had this momentary gasp because an entire apartment complex or townhouse complex, actually, at the moment, I couldn't remember what was even, what had even been there. But whatever had normally been there was completely raised. They bulldozed it. It was gone. And I thought, that's so weird. It co- everything completely changed. Suddenly the familiar had changed. And what I had gotten so, what I'd counted on for so long to be there was suddenly not there. And I thought, oh, do I turn left here? This is where I turn left, isn't it? And I thought about it. Um, and then I felt so silly. I kind of got my bearings. I collected myself. And I go, I know the way home. I turn left. It's, you know, this is ridiculous. I want to enjoy my children at every stage, but um, every time I get it figured out or I think I've got a handle on it, guess what happens? They change. Do you experience that? Every time. Every time my discipline methods start working and we're in our mojo, it changes. And I, and I find myself panicking, going, okay, now what, now what, now what? And I'm always just scrambling, you know, to keep my head above water. The landscape changes. And suddenly I'm not sure where I am. I've thrown off course. They enter a new phase of development, and I am momentarily lost at the intersection. But there are two things that I must keep in mind. I want to encourage you all to keep in mind when you get there. First of all, do not fear the changing landscape. 
These are new blessings that wait for you at every turn of, of your child's development. Enjoy every stage of it. And then don't panic. Keep in mind and remember that you've got your compass and you have your instruction book. You have the Holy Spirit and you have God's Word. And maybe he throws in some great community along with it. But the point is, you know the way home. He has supplied you with everything you need. I'm finished. I'm just going to conclude with letting you know that I probably, you know, I didn't give you a list of fun things to do with your child, and maybe I should have. But the goal really is not to enjoy a lot of activities. The goal is to enjoy your child. And there really is just one way to do that, and that's with Christ. Apart from him, there is no enjoyment in anything. Um, Ecclesiastes 2.24 and 23 says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen, that it's from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? I think when we walk with Christ and we abide in him, we gain his perspective. We experience his joy and then we respond from the overflow. Our journey of enjoyment is not complete until we've sat at his feet. Um, If you really, really want to enjoy your children, start experiencing them through the same lens with which God sees you in Christ. There's a song several years ago, and the chorus said, um, the the whole song kind of celebrates how God sees us when we come to him through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. And the the chorus says, his gaze always passes through rose-colored glasses every time he looks at my heart. And everything we know looks better through rose-colored glasses. God is rejoicing over me all the time in every circumstance, and he's and through um, fellowship with him, the power of his spirit, he gives me that exact same ability to celebrate and enjoy my child all the time and in all circumstances. I'm going to close by reading Zephaniah 3.17 over you, and I want you to... This is what God tells you. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And I, he does that for us. And when we are um, experiencing it through him, we are so much better <clears throat> equipped to do that for our children. And that's how... I think we learn to really enjoy our kiddos. So that's the morning. And um, they're handing out some of the little personality quizzes. But um, let me close in prayer real quick, and then y'all can take a look at those. And I don't know that we even have time for Q&A, but I'm sorry I went so long. I didn't plan on that. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for your great love for us, that it is, Um, consistent, and it's unconditional. Please allow us, in the deepest part of our hearts, to throw ourselves at your feet, asking for a filling of your spirit on a consistent basis to just apply all that you have given to us and leave, um, leave with us so that we can give it to our kids as well and help us to love and appreciate and embrace these gifts that you have given us, that we might train them and raise them and encourage them to seek you, that you may be glorified in, um, in how we enjoy them. In Christ's name, amen.